following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, episode 827 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, and indeed, the scholarly Brittany Page, everybody. So I know we're supposed to be talking about some... My butthole? Health themes. My my butthole. But before we do that, I want to talk about <laughs> more queen stuff, even though I said I didn't want to talk about more queen stuff. More what stuff? Oh, the queen. You're continuing your path toward angering everyone <laughs> well not everybody just people who are riding that monarchy dick okay and so after you <laughs> the views and opinions expressed by jesse dollarmore oh, are solely those of jesse dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany page who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis let's we'll just get that right the fuck out of the way right now how All about right. that that's that's fine so you have continued tweeting about it, and you you made a tweet calling the new King Charles a spoiled brat or something, a brat. Yeah. And shortly after you tweeted that, a video appeared in my feed of him signing some sort of document and and using the wrong date. And then the the ink starts spilling out all over the pen. Yeah, and, I saw that one. <laughs> and King Charles and his, I think his wife. Yeah, C- Camilla Parker Bowles are unable to handle the situation. I mean, just completely ill-equipped for the trauma that is this pin leaking all over the place. Yeah, and it it was so fitting with your tweet. That- well, I'm like, I, it's one of those things. It's kind of like when we moved to the city and rats were like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, we knew about rats, but we didn't really know about rats. It's mm-hmm. the same thing with the life of a monarch. I watched a little video clip of their servantry, like these these people who, like, put the toothpaste on his fucking toothbrush and leave it on the sink for oh him. Oh, my God. Who draw his bath for him. Oh, my it, God. He has grown up. Zero life skills. Yeah, not doing shit that normal, regular fucking working people do. To an extent, like, even Elon Musk puts his own toothpaste on his toothbrush. Even Jeff Bezos who are wildly more wealthy than these asshole monarchs. Mm -hmm. Do they dress themselves? Their clothes are laid out for them. That's another part of that little clip that I saw. Like his valet putting all his clothes out, going into his underwear drawer. It, It is... I don't understand. I still don't get it why people are so vociferously defending the monarch and acting like I'm attacking their culture. This is our culture, Jesse. Don't attack our culture. Oh, the humanity. Calm the fuck down. I, it's very strange watching people dedicate a significant portion of their life defending yeah. <laughs> these people on Twitter. I mean... King Charles doesn't care if you live or die, so I don't understand why you Listen, would be... Listen, King Charles doesn't care if he lives or dies. Have you seen his fucking hands? His little bloated sausage fingers? That guy's got all kinds of problems. Okay. I mean, it's probably from centuries of inbreeding, but nonetheless, he's not taking care of himself. All right. He's certainly not taking care of anybody else. So hopefully... Too he, much. He has gotten his new booster... The new COVID-19 booster. Masterful, masterful segue. I know. And uh, we did the bivalent, I think is what it's called. That booster right. shot. The new one that covers the Omicron specific variant. Yeah, it's variant specific bivalent booster. Yes. And we Knocked got it. me on the ground. It was it. So it was strange for me because it was like the very first shot that I got. And I remember I got the very first COVID-19 vaccination and 12 hours later, 
all of my joints hurt. Yeah. It was painful to even move my fingers. And this time, I think it happened about 12 hours later that our symptoms kicked in in the middle of the night. It was yeah. when I was sleeping and I turned over and I woke up because I was in so much pain turning over. And so there's just no way to escape it. There's nothing that you can do if you're going to get these side effects. Well, the good thing <laughs> is, though, it only lasted through the night, a little bit through the next day. But the symptoms I felt and experienced due to the booster are, they pale in comparison to when I had COVID. And my COVID was, was pretty mild, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So... I'm glad to have gotten it out of the way. I'm glad that it's available. I'm glad they're offering it. Uh, it was easy. Uh, I would encourage everybody, if you're eligible, you don't have Im- some immunocompromised situation going on, to go out there and get this uh, bivalent, this new variant-specific b- booster. Yeah, and then we're also going to be getting our flu shots, but I think we're going to be waiting a little bit. Maybe in October we'll get them. I've been reading a little bit about the flu shot, and I think you get like four solid months of protection, and then it starts to wane after that period. So depending on when flu is popping off in your community, you you may want to time yours yeah. differently. But I mean, either way, you want to get the shot in the arm. Well, also remember that the flu shot isn't necessarily, if, if, if you're sitting here thinking, well, I, I don't care about getting the flu, it's not. I don't care about that. The flu shot, as we have been reminded by listener Marcus in North Carolina for years and years and years, it isn't necessarily for you. You getting the flu shot protects those around you who are immunocompromised, who do have situations in their life that uh, make it um, them unable to get vaccinated. So you're saving possibly someone's life. Right. And you are going to be getting a colonoscopy. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow's the day. And uh, endoscopy? How do you say? Yes. Yes. You're getting both. Yeah. They're, they're, they're jamming a tube down my throat. Because mm-hmm. remember, earlier I, they found out I was anemic and I had to take these iron pills or whatever because mm-hmm. I was stand up and feel like I was going to pass out. Yeah. And uh, they want to figure out why. Yeah. Maybe I'm bleeding, and, you know, because I have had heartburn issues in the past, whatever, you know, that happens when you're a fat guy. And uh, and then the the colonoscopy just because of uh, my advancing age. Yes. So, are you feeling excited? Are you looking forward to drinking a gallon of juice? <laughs> well, I wouldn't call it juice. It's Gavalite C, mm-hmm. and I've got. I'm holding in my hand. It just happens to be in here in the podcast studio. Mm-hmm. Um, a gallon jug with a bunch of powder in the bottom of it. And that starts this evening. I have to chug two-thirds of this gallon yeah. with already laxatives in my system. And apparently, it's just going to be a shit fest mm-hmm. moving forward. Yeah. It's not going to be great for you. It's not going to be great. <laughs> well, they have a lemon flavoring packet, which I'm sure is going to make that taste super great. One single lemon packet. Mm, it's going to be good. <laughs> I love how much joy you... Well, I'm listen, not having joy. Well, here's, here's, if I live long enough, I'm going to be in that same boat. Here's the interesting we'll see what happens, thing. Though. If you live long enough, Jesus. We don't know what's uh, going to happen. The other thing is... I could be dead tomorrow. We we were talking about... Because Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney from um, Hollywood fame, they just, <laughs> they just um, let the cameras in, mm-hmm. no pun intended, to the process of them getting their they, colonoscopies. They pulled an Al Roker. Yeah, yeah. Or Katie Couric. Oh, was she the first? She, uh, she did it, yeah. Okay. And uh, and they both had polyps that were removed during the procedure. And we were thinking, oh, well, those guys are like super fucking in shape and shit. Mm-hmm. What's the over-under on the the number of polyps, the, mount, <laughs> the dump truck load of polyps they're going to cut out of my asshole? And... We, we came at the number three is the over-under, and you we, chose the over. We didn't come at that number. You chose the over. You chose that number. And, and you chose the over. Because I knew you were going to cho- choose the under. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> we'll see what happens. So you think I'm just one walking polyp with, with ears and eyes? No. And some loosely based political opinions. I'm just a polyp. 
Talking politics. All right. So everyone <laughs> wish Jesse the best for his procedure on Friday. And we look forward to. How dare you, sir? Giving all of the dirty details on the following episode. We are going to be releasing an episode. So we're releasing this on Thursday. And then we're going to be releasing an episode on Friday as well. And it is a very exciting episode. We're very much looking forward to the audience hearing this because we have a rodentologist. Yes, that's right. A rodentologist. Bobby Corrigan, PhD, studies. He's an expert in rat behavior and rat. All things rat. Yes. And I I know you're like, wow. What are you guys doing? Uh, it was a fantastic conversation. We both learned a lot, and I think the audience is going to really enjoy it. So well, let's we'll, we'll just prep right now without looking. Don't go Google it. Think in your mind: How many pounds per square inch can a rat bite? <laughs> and then also think of this question because that that question will be answered in the next episode. And, and then think if you got Susie and 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 Johnny Rat. And they have children, one litter. Mm -hmm. In one year, how many rats can result from that one couple, like they're monogamous or something, that one couple having babies? And if everything goes well, what's the number that you think what's, at the end of a year? What's that family tree look like yeah. at the end of a year? Yeah. <laughs> Just think about that. That question will also be answered. It was a great conversation. He's very, uh, he put up with a lot of my bullshit, which is great. Sometimes the guests, uh, not a fan. Well, I don't know about that. We're not used, not ready for jokes and <laughs> whatever. Yeah. <laughs> They're expecting an NPR interview. Right. With, yeah. That's not exactly what we do here. Yeah. Not at all what we do here. No. Anyway, thanks for joining us, everybody. Let's get to some listener communication. Last time on the show, we talked about Jordan Peterson, uh, as unfortunately we do from time to time. Got a call. Hello, Brittany. Hello, Jesse. It's your Uncle Hossie. I haven't called in in quite some time, and I'd just like to say I'm proud of you guys for all that you've done and all that you continue to do. Now, the reason I'm calling is I just listened to your most recent episode uh, and this whole thing about Jordan Peterson talking about punching people in the face. Now, here's the deal. I am 43. I am grossly out of shape. I get winded getting off the couch. I've been smoking for 25 years, and I would like to publicly challenge Jordan Peterson to a fist fight. I promise you, he will not win. Thanks. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Sounds like uh, Uncle Hossie mm -hmm. is in need uh, of a colonoscopy as well. <laughs> uh, no, he said he's 42. Oh. 45. Then he's at the year. That's the new year. No, I said he's 42. Oh. He's, didn't he say he's 42? I don't know. I don't pay attention when Hoss talks. So uh, 45 is the screening age. I just took a little nap, a little, little brief respite mm. while he rambled on. Yeah. Oh, no, I think he said he's 43, 43. So two more years, two more years. <laughs> uh, by the way, these types don't accept uh, offers of, of to pugil pugilistic offers. Mm. I've, I had t-shirts made uh, of, of uh, a charity boxing match event that I, that I offered um, Tucker Carlson to take me up on. And oddly enough, you know, Mr traditional masculinity uh, he's ducking me mm -hmm. so just keep that in mind Haas I think it's a fantasy for all of these people it's uh, Sam Harris is the same way that other guy Peter Bogosian Peter Bogosian is like this they're all like MMA weirdos yeah or, or feigning real hard to be James Lindsay also loves to like put videos of him like Sword chopping play. the air and <laughs> with his sword. Chopping the I don't. Air. I don't understand what that is. And listen, I also come it's from overcompensation. Is what it is. Yeah, I also come from a culture where 
the skinheads would come over to the house and have fight night in the yard. So like I, your neighbors just fucking loved you guys. And my mom would fight men. So I come from a culture where I'm like used to seeing men who they don't just talk about being tough or they don't just like talk about that stuff. They actually start like fist fighting in the yard. So um, I don't romanticize it the way that they do. And I think that they likely wouldn't do that. These types if they had actually experienced that, because I don't think it would go well for them. Similarly to one of the men that my mom fought one time who got the best of him and he got very upset and stormed (laughs) off and went home, which was quite embarrassing. And this is how I imagine it would be for someone Uh, like Jordan Peterson, right? That would be like his wake up call. Any of them, the Matt Walsh, that yeah. douche from Daily Wire, all of these people who 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 extol the virtues of traditional masculinity. I don't know how the fuck we got here, but they extol the virtues of of traditional masculinity. Yet they are anything but traditionally masculine. They extol the virtue the virtues of traditional masculinity as they view traditional masculinity like those traits that they have put on masculinity what they they view is like the ideal masculine type yeah yeah that's exactly right yeah so i'm with you uncle haas we uh we appreciate the call very much we do as always you can also call in 657-464-7609 of course you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Robert H. Robert H. And Michael and Pamela C. Michael and Pamela C. There's a situation with Patreon that we want to talk about because a few people have reached out to us sharing their concerns about reports that the security and safety or i'm sorry the security and trust and safety employees the the team with patreon five people well we know that now but it was being reported that the entire like team of security and trust and safety was gone yeah at patreon and part of this is coming from a tiktoker yeah, Tizzy Int. He was a, he followed me when uh, before I was permanently banned from TikTok. He was uh, we were mutuals. Yeah, and so he did this TikTok. You know, it's it's good to get your information from TikTok, and especially when you're the media like CBS News. They did reach out to him for comment yeah. and ask him what he knows. But hey, what information do you have? We'd love to follow up. Yeah, so he did this TikTok about. People who came to him and said, I'm aware that on Patreon, there are parents who are selling, essentially, images of their underage children on Patreon, and there's nothing that can be done about it because the parents are over the age of 18. And the the, the photos are, we'll say, provocative. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but not obscene or rise to the level of criminality. Right. And so then... Certainly concerning. Right. And so then he tied this to the security team going away at Patreon. And so this video was being shared all over the internet, all over Twitter. The guy has like almost 5 million followers on, on TikTok. So he has a large audience. Right. So... Patreon did confirm that they laid off their security team, which consisted of five people. This certain area of security, not all security employees. They were not all of the company's cybersecurity team. And they're outsourcing those jobs somewhere else for cheaper, as many companies do. That is correct. So when you watch a TikTok video, for example, of someone alleging that Patreon is laying their security team off in order to groom minors. That's probably 
wild and something that should be looked into further. And this is the upsetting thing about TikTok is, and this happened to me the other day with something as minor as how to run a dishwasher. Okay. I watched a TikTok and it was like, guess what? A maintenance man came over and he said that you shouldn't be putting these dishwasher packs in the little place where the dishwasher pack goes. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're supposed to just throw it in the fucking dishwasher. And so I was telling you, I'm like, hey, guess what I learned today? You're supposed to just put it in the dishwasher. And you're like, what? And I was like, after I said it, I'm, I was thinking that doesn't even make sense. What I just said. Yeah. And so I put it in the dishwasher in not in the little pocket where it goes. And it almost immediately dissolved. Like it was almost immediately gone, just gone down the drain. And that's why you don't just throw it in the dishwasher. And this is what TikTok is trying to tell me. They're trying to tell me that Patreon is grooming minors and that you can just throw your fucking dishwasher pack in, in the dishwasher. And None of it's true, guys. Yeah. So additionally, Patreon put out another post saying that their security and trust and safety are separate functions. This is not like a combined effort. They're not getting rid of all of these things. Listen, it it comes down to what individual people feel comfortable doing. And we have heard from people that they are moving their Patreon support to PayPal that's mm-hmm. that's fine. We just don't we don't want this to turn into a situation where people are leaving Patreon not even just for our sake, but this this is the most disturbing part of this is number 1 spreading ch- child trafficking rumors gets people killed. Yeah. More importantly this. Uh yes, and number 2 that is only damaging independent creators who rely on patreon to make a living so i'm not sure what the motivation here is with this guy on tiktok but it's concerning for the safety of actual people who can be harmed also it diverts attention and resources away from actual crimes that are taking place in the performance of victimizing children so let's not divert attention from very real problems in our society related to this very issue and have them focus on fucking Patreon and Jack Conti and the team over there. Yeah. So and we don't have any loyalty to these people. We've met Jack a handful of times, but you know, he's, we don't, we're not sliding into each other's DMS and shit. Yeah. So if you want to want to read more about it, you can read the Patreon statements that they've made on their website. And I would, I would recommend that you start there, but until more information comes out, these are just unsubstantiated allegations. Wild conspiracy theory, I would go as far as to say. Yes. So we appreciate people reaching out, and we appreciate the opportunity to clarify some of that. And and where we stand on all of it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you very much. Uh, moving on. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Kind of interesting that we started the show talking about our vaccines and our flu shots to come because there is an issue in New York that you may have heard about that polio is on the rise again. And indeed, the state of New York has declared a state of emergency. And New York Governor Kathy Hochul has declared a polio state of emergency in her state here in New York. Health officials say an unvaccinated man tested positive for polio earlier this year, just north of New York City. This was the first case detected in the U.S. in more than a decade. Traces of the disease were also found in wastewater in several communities in and around New York City. Polio was largely eradicated in the U.S. after the vaccine was created back in the 1950s. 50s, but some communities have rejected the shots for religious reasons. The governor says she declared the state of emergency out of an abundance of caution. The emergency order will give medical workers, pharmacists, and midwives more access to administer the vaccine. Can you imagine walking through life, just bebopping through life, and rejecting life-saving treatment for a debilitating 
an insane disease, insidious disease like polio, and doing it because religious reasons. Mm-hmm. I just I don't I don't I don't understand it. They're choosing disease or grave risk of disease because of their particular fl- faith flavor. Well, I think we can also blame things like TikTok. I mean, if we're going to come back to TikTok and these social media stars that came out of the pandemic that were anti-vax, oh, yeah. anti-mask. Small and-, and large alike. I mean, you've got everybody from your... Uh, those those idiots, uh, Lanka, whoever, and uh, that other woman in in Orange County that were neighbors of ours, and then all the way up to to uh, Joe Rogan and uh, Brett Weinstein. Mm-hmm. It's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Bill even. Maher. Yeah. I just saw Bill Maher and Aaron Rodgers talking together on a podcast. Yeah, and what's with the smoking of cigars? Why? Anyway, that's a whole other thing. These fucking idiots. I cannot tell you how nauseating it is to watch two people that know nothing sit around and talk about these issues as though they are experts. Just the arrogance that, yeah. that comes out of their mouths is very disturbing. And for someone like Bill Maher, who in the past would mock religious people and talk about the emphasis and on, conspiracism. Yeah. And talk about how important it was to be like a knowledgeable person to look to experts. I mean, I don't know that he's ever really said that because he's always been anti-vax and anti-GMO, but maybe he just wanted to mock religious people. Maybe that was, yeah. maybe that was his whole game. Yeah, I think so. And really he has a lot in common with the religious people that he used to mock. So I think, I think some of it comes with uh, great wealth. Mm-hmm. That when you when you when you're worth hundreds of millions of dollars, it gives you an inflated sense of understanding. Like, oh, I have special knowledge that led me to this place of power and 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 wealth and 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 influence over people. So I must have also a great supernatural ability to to navigate other waters that are. Very, very complex. Well, and I saw, because I I consume all of this trash on YouTube, and so they suggest videos to me, and they suggested a Joe Rogan and Aaron Rodgers clip. Again, yeah. And the title was something about Joe Rogan and Aaron Rodgers take on student debt and the nine-to-five society trap. (laughs) Yeah, I I love to hear two people who won the lottery, the life lottery, one being a famous podcaster who gets to set his own schedule and do whatever he wants to a professional athlete. Right. Again, two lottery tickets in terms of life and watching them talk about the nine to five society trap. You mean the way that most people need to survive? Yeah. Because they don't hit the life lottery? Well, no, they just don't work hard enough. If they worked hard enough, they could also be the the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers for for years and years and years. They just didn't work hard enough for it. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, make sure you get vaccinated so that we aren't continuing to live in a hellscape. Yeah. That would be great. Please. Yeah. Speaking of hellscapes, Brittany Page, mm-hmm. another Alex Jones trial has begun in Connecticut. Yep. And uh, you've been keep- keeping me in the loop. I've been busy and not paying attention, but... It seems to be off to a similar start as the one in Texas, which is to say a fucking chaotic shit show. It is. The judge had to tell Alex Jones's defense attorney to stop talking about Hillary Clinton. (laughs) That she doesn't want to hear the name Hillary Clinton again. Where do these people find lawyers? I mean, is it like in the bargain DVD bin at Walmart or something? I, I don't. Where are these fucking lawyers coming from? I don't know, but I hope Alex Jones made a choice that he's happy with in terms of attorneys because this is going to be another instance where a jury is deciding how much Alex Jones should pay to the families of the Sandy Hook victims. This is a a group of families that are suing this time. There are a number of plaintiffs and an FBI agent who responded to the massacre. Uh, So the uh, damage award is expected to be higher in the many millions of dollars. We expect it will follow the pattern of the trial in Texas, whereby we will hear, frankly, horror stories from these families about what they've endured 
during the past almost 10 years now, the anniversary is in uh, December of this year, 10-year anniversary of the Sandy Hook Massacre. Uh, we'll also hear from mental health experts about the impact of the family. Some uh, in the previous trial described them as undergoing and still dealing with traumatic stress disorder as if they were in a war because of first losing their children and then what they say they have endured because of hearing about this being a hoax by um, Alex Jones and some of his believers, followers, and so forth. Some of that was on social media, but some of it was actually in person, the harassment that, the, that they say that they felt. Uh, and we'll hear a lot about Jones's finances. Uh, he, his company is, is filing for bankruptcy protection to try and shield itself from this. He has claimed that he doesn't have any money, that he's broke. The family's insist he has hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> that he's still making. And to some extent, that's a lot of what this is about, trying to bring him down financially, to knock him off the air, to, to end his to, to end, end his info wars, whatever you call it, mm-hmm. and to, to, to shut him down, basically. I think that's taking liberties a little bit with with the, with the goals here to say that the goal of the Sandy Hook parents is to ruin Alex Jones and take him off the air. I mean, I just don't know that mm. that's a journalist's role. Oh, yeah. As a journalist, I see that. Yeah, I would agree with that. However, I believe he's right. I, that, it seems to me that that would be the goal. If I was a parent who lost a child to gun violence and then had Alex Jones do all of the insidious things he did, uh, my life's mission would be to get him out of any role of influence whatsoever. So I'm not an attorney. Uh, but wait, wait, what? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I did... I have been watching the trial. I'm not prepared. And I guess the reason that comment gives me pause is because it's it's a line directly out of Alex Jones's attorney's mouth. Oh, is that right? And the 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 defense that they're making essentially is that these Sandy Hook families have already received payouts and that any payout from Alex Jones would be an additional payout that they don't need. Hmm. So yeah, that's an interesting. That's an interesting perspective. Um, I, I, I for sure agree that it's out of the purview of the journalist to speculate. Certainly, mm-hmm. um, but personally, I hope he is fucking buried and is never seen from again. He dies a hermit in the woods. Sure. So, if you are interested in watching that, I believe the Law and Crime Channel, which is Kind of sprung up out of nowhere, right? It's kind of a nightmare, honestly. It it really got popular with the Johnny Depp stuff, and we don't need to get into that because people get upset again, but he's a piece of trash. And so the Law and Crime channel has a live chat, you know, the chat on YouTube. And when that FBI agent that the journalist there mentioned that's a part of this this trial, he's the Sandy Hook families, and then this FBI agent who was on the scene who has been harassed by Alex Jones's followers as well. He was crying while he was taking everyone through showing up to Sandy Hook the day of. The horrors that he witnessed. How they searched the school. He broke down at several points and was apologizing for not being able to get through his sentences. This is something that is still with him. Yeah. And the people in the live chat were mocking him Uh. and saying that they were fake tears, that he uh, should have given lessons to Amber Heard. Like I'm bringing John, I'm bringing Johnny Depp up yeah. because these are the same kind of trash people who were in these comments. Just very sick people. I mean, talking about how he's weak for crying. He saw dead children. I don't understand how it's like hard. Dozens to, of dead children. It's just these conspiracy theorists can't accept. I think the reality of life that some people do see very terrible things and really terrible things happen. It's almost like they refuse to accept that. Yeah. And can't grasp it. I I don't know, but it's really sick. Well, and adjacent to this topic, not necessarily on uh, any specific Alex Jones things. This is police misconduct and shootings. There was this case, very sad case in Colorado of a a, a kid named Christian Glass who apparently had a car wreck and called 911 for assistance. And then when the police got there, they ended up killing him and his parents are now... I mean, no better advocates out there uh, from a messaging standpoint uh, to get justice for their son and hopefully turn some minds on this issue of police going fucking rogue and killing citizens. 
A family says they want to get the deputies involved in the death of their son off the roads of Clear Creek County. Christian Glass died after being shot by deputies in June. I'm Michelle Griego bringing you CBS4 News at Noon live on CBS4 and CBS News Colorado. Now his parents are demanding local, state and federal officials prosecute the officers involved. Our Spencer Wilson just heard from Sally and Simon Glass and joins us now. And Spencer, there are some parts of that night both sides agree happened. Michelle, that is correct. Right now, we just heard from those attorneys. They let us know that they are more than willing to provide the body camera footage from that night, both edited and unedited for anyone to watch, which they say shows uh, Christopher Glass getting shot in a car after a crash in June in Silver Plume. Now, both parties agree that that crash did happen in Silver Plume, and then Christian called 911. He told the dispatcher he had two knives, a hammer, and a rubber mallet. His family's attorneys say that was because he is an amateur geologist. Over the span of an hour, officers tell Glass he must exit the vehicle and dismisses attempts to put the weapons out of his own window. Glass refuses to leave the car, saying that he is scared. As things escalated, officers broke a window to try and get him out, and Glass grabs one of the knives. Officers then tase him. The video shows Glass uh, beginning to swing his arm with the knife wildly, and officers shoot him. His family says none of this should have happened. Christian's killing is a stain on Clear Creek County and on Colorado. It was a murder by a Colorado official. It cannot stand. It is not right. You know, an aggressive bully is always going to be an aggressive bully. And I don't know how you can train that characteristic out. Pay more, elevate the status of the profession by getting rid of the rod and hire people with kind hearts and a moral compass. In the video provided and edited by the family's attorney, you can hear State Patrol over dispatch ask if there's any real reason they need to get Christian out of the car in the first place. And the responding deputy says no. Uh, We'll have more on this story continuing uh, throughout the rest of the week and as this story evolves, continued from here. Live in Denver, Spencer Wilson, covering Colorado first. So it's the same story that we've seen time and time again. Cops... They don't need to actually get him out of the car. They don't actually need to be doing anything in this situation. And yet they chose to stay outside of his car for an hour antagonizing him, creating greater fear, creating greater anxiety, creating a heightened sense of danger within Christian, provoking him to the point where he... At, at one point, apparently did grab the knife that he had. He had two knives. He had a hammer and a rubber mallet because he's an amateur geologist. He's in the middle of nowhere in Colorado, it seems. Yeah. And he was scared. And he said that from the beginning. He, he called the fucking cops. And he also told the cops that he had those items and that he could throw them out of the car. And they said, do not do that. So he offered to, quote unquote, disarm himself. And none of none of this would have happened if this country actually took the motto of defund the police and put it into action and had mental health response teams that could go out to calls like this where there's no concern about violence or violent behavior. They could even respond with the police. That's fine. But go out and prevent a situation like this from happening where the cop is jumping on the hood of the car like he's in a movie. Rather than escalate and and, and, and inflame the situation, they are... Make it worse. Yeah. Rather than de-escalate, they inflame the situation to make it worse. Yeah. And I think that his parents are right on talking about the characteristics of the police. These are definitely qualities that when you are at a scene like this, if you have someone who's like pumped up and ready to do some action, this is how they're going to behave. And it's enough. It's a culture. We've talked about this for years and for too many fucking years we've talked about this that there is a hiring problem within police departments because of the culture. They're looking for a certain kind of person, some military flunky, some idiot who just wants to see action. I know a guy who worked as a cop in like Sun Valley, Idaho, and moved to Nampa, Idaho, with a Boise suburb, because he wanted more action. He wanted to be able to be that Rambo fucking type. And it's it's... All throughout police departments all over the country. Yeah, it's disturbing. Another disturbing thing, Brittany Page. 
<sighs> Lindsey Graham. Mm-hmm. Introducing a bill to ban abortion nationally after 15 weeks. And I know you're thinking, wait a minute. States' rights. The Republicans wanted to push this issue back to the states. Why would they be introducing a a plan to ban abortion nationally? Well, they've always talked about this as being the plan. If Republicans take back control of Congress come November, Senator Lindsey Graham is promising to hold a vote on a federal nationwide abortion ban. No abortions in the country after 15 weeks, with exceptions for rape and incest, or if it's necessary to save the life of the mother. If we take back the House and the Senate, I can assure you we'll have a vote on our bill. If the Democrats are in charge, I don't know if we'll ever have a vote on our bill. Well, it's a daring move just eight weeks before the midterms, especially after the very same senator previously said there should be no nationwide ban. Republicans have been facing major political backlash from the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. We've seen Democrats surge in the polls, and some GOP candidates soften their stances on abortion. The top Republican in the Senate, the minority leader Mitch McConnell, is already distancing himself from what Senator Graham just said. Well, with regard to his bill, you'll have to ask him about it. In terms of scheduling, I think most of the members of my conference prefer that this be dealt with at the state level. This this entire saga right now with the Republican Party, because now Lindsey Graham's being attacked by idiots like Charlie Kirk and Matt Walsh, not for the bill, because they ostensibly believe the bill. They, they, Charlie Kirk described himself as 100% pro-life, with maybe an exception for the life of the mother. So they agree with the contents of the bill. They agree. In fact, it probably doesn't go far enough for them. But not now, because they know the American people are not with them. They know they could that could cost them the majority in the Senate. And that's what, what is at issue for them. That is what's most important. Not the, the morality that they claim to hold so tightly to that it is actual murder. They want to be in power. Yeah, and the media has actually been reporting on these comments from Mitch McConnell as though he's throwing water on Lindsey Graham's plan. Like they right. are they are opposed. And that's that's just not the case. I mean, even reporting in Vanity Fair from May 2022 this year, when the draft opinion got leaked on Roe, Mitch McConnell said that that was on the table. A federal national ban was on the table if Roe got overturned. So he was saying that in May. Right. And then what happened was, then they saw the backlash. They saw the the ubiquitous backlash from the American people that they're not on board. They mis- The Republicans miscalculated here, thinking that there were going to be a larger percentage of Americans who were like, oh, yeah, celebrating like they were. Right. And that's not the case, and it may, co- it may cost them in the midterms. Yeah, and you, you heard Shepard Smith in that clip talking about how several Republican candidates have been, quote-unquote, softening their stances. That's the phrasing that he used. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about this because there's actually several Republican candidates who are straight up lying about what they actually feel about abortion. Going to going so far as to remove wording that they had on their website prior to winning their primaries and completely changing it to make it look like they have a different abortion stance when when they don't. They have the same stance on abortion. Liars. They're just hiding it yeah. so that they have a better chance of winning their elections. One of the most prominent candidates doing this is Arizona Republican Senate candidate Blake Masters. Jared McDonald Evoy joins us now. He's a reporter from the Arizona Mirror. It's good to have you with us. Now, Blake Masters has also scrubbed his website of previous stances on abortion, including his support for a federal bill recognizing unborn children as human beings. What is his messaging on this issue now? Uh, Yeah, so thank you for having me on. Uh, Masters has been uh, changing his stance uh, a bit on his website since he got uh, he won the GOP primary. Uh, That stance has gone from he previously had, as you noted, a uh, a position of of wanting to have a federal personhood law, which would make it so that anyone who um, receives an abortion uh, could be charged with murder or something to that effect. Now. He has kind of stepped back from that and on his website has changed it so that um, he's more in support of, say, like a 15-week abortion ban 
or uh, something uh, more akin to to that sort of a policy. And in interviews with uh, other members of the press, he's he's been more supportive of of those sort of restrictions on abortion. So it's not a complete reversal, but it is definitely shifting from what he was saying and posting during the primary. Correct. It's it's definitely more of a softening of his stance. He's definitely still anti-abortion, but it's it's walked back a bit on uh, his support of some of these more uh, extreme anti-abortion measures that we've seen uh, him him touting in the past. So that's pretty significant that that Blake Masters would remove language from his website that indicates that he supports a federal personhood law that would treat abortion as murder. Murder. (laughs) He's removing that from his website in order to cover that up. 15 week man, y'all. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Come on. Yeah, and he's he's not alone in this. We also have a Republican running in Minnesota, Dr. Scott Jensen, and he has now been running ads that say abortion is a constitutional right in Minnesota and that he's not running to change that. That's directly what he says in his ads. But before that, including in March and April of 2021, he pledged that he would protect the life of the unborn as governor and that he's a pro-life champion. Well, there's wiggle room there because I'm not running to change that. That doesn't mean that once I get into office, I won't change it. But I'm not, that's not my main core concern. I'm not running to change it. Well, and again, in January 2022, he was running an ad that said that he would make Minnesota a pro-life state. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the good news is there are intrepid reporters and people out there who are tracking these things, watching the changes in the websites, so it doesn't go unnoticed in the state. Because if we're talking about it at a national level, you know on the ground in Arizona, people know the the the, the chicanery and the, the charlatan charlatanry, if that's a word, <laughs> yeah. that's going on. Yeah, well, and the 19th News reported on this too, and they referenced a few more candidates. Tom Barrett, who's running in Michigan's 7th Congressional District, I guess he removed language that said he would, quote, always work to protect life from from conception. So then you have, according to this reporting, in North Carolina's 13th congressional district, since winning the May 17th primary, Republican Bo Hines has removed, quote, life and family issues section from his website, which previously linked to a fundraising page touting his belief that life begins at conception and that we must protect the rights of the unborn. See, as a core principle, they're willing to walk away from it. So it, it, it it's either... That they don't really believe it, it's not that important, or power is more important than anything else, and they want to get elected. Because you can be guaranteed, goddamn sure, guaranteed, goddamn teed, sure, that when they do, if they do get elected, this will be the order of the day. And it won't just be abortion. It will be contraception access. It will be marriage equality. So many other issues that are, oh no, that's precedent. That's a that's an unchallengeable decision. That's law. No way. They're going to do exactly as the Supreme Court justices did during their confirmation hearings, which is lie. And then after the fact, they're going to try to change fundamentally the fabric of America. Yeah. And so in these these three races that we're talking about, Blake Masters, Tom Barrett, and Bo Hines, those have been rated as toss-ups right now. So that also points to why they are motivated to remove this mm-hmm. language from their their websites. But I hope people remember, remember that Republicans are actively lying and trying to hide and cover what their positions on abortion have been because they're realizing that the thing they've been working toward for so long is actually not paying off in the way that they thought it would. Yeah. And now they're afraid. So... Keep being afraid, keep trying to lie, and hopefully the American public sees through it. And keep um, elevating radicals into position of power and, you know, the ultimate uh, eventuality seems to me is going to be lost for that party. So on that note, there has been some controversy within the Democratic Party because Democratic groups are spending money on Republican primaries to try to nominate those extreme candidates, what they view as the less appealing opponent. Yeah, risky business. And we're going to talk about 
what we think about that on the other side of this clip. Meet Bob Burns. In TV ads like this one, an unexpected and risky strategy. And I'm an America first candidate. Burns follows the Trump playbook on immigration, the border, and guns. What at first glance looks like a typical campaign message for a Republican primary candidate is actually an ad paid for by Democrats. Democrats serve as responsible for the content of this ad. Bob Burns, a former county treasurer and loyal supporter of former President Donald Trump, is hoping to take on Democratic Congresswoman Ann Kuster to represent New Hampshire's 2nd District. I'm the only pro-life candidate up here. But first, Burns, who has questioned the legitimacy of the 2020 election, has to beat Keene Mayor George Hansel in the party primary on Tuesday. Hansel is a centrist backed by the state's Republican governor, Chris Sununu, and he has sharply different views on issues like abortion. Personally, I'm pro-choice. Burns already leads in the polls. Democrats boosting his candidacy are essentially rolling the dice. That in a district President Joe Biden won by nine points, Burns is easier to beat. An agenda too conservative for Illinois. It's part of a national strategy. Official Democratic campaign arms and outside groups are pumping millions of dollars into Republican contests in at least seven states, betting that Trump faithful election denying candidates will be less competitive in November. Donald Trump's handpicked candidate for Maryland governor. Cox worked with Trump trying to prove the last election was a fraud. In Maryland, Democrats spent $627,000 to elevate Dan Cox, who won the primary over a moderate backed by Republican Governor Larry Hogan. In a blue state, Cox victory all but clears the way for a Democratic win in November. Handpicked by Trump to run for Congress, Gibbs called Trump the greatest president. In a Michigan swing district, Democrats poured $435,000 into promoting John Gibbs, who has spread election lies and conspiracies. He beat freshman Congressman Peter Meyer, who voted to impeach Trump. To Mike Madrid, a Republican who has worked to defeat Trump and election deniers, the strategy is hypocritical and a danger to democracy. It's aiding and abetting a social movement that is trying to destroy our democratic underpinnings. And to be involved in that, to be engaged in that, is a moral travesty. It it is literally feeding into the same toxicity that the problem you're trying to address has created. Republican Chris Matisse, a true conservative, 100% pro-Trump. The ads are similarly designed, emphasizing ties to Trump and conservative positions on abortion and immigration. All issues Democrats should use to define and challenge their Republican opponents, argues Martha McKenna, a Democratic ad maker. These candidates are a threat. They're a threat to our democracy, whether they're on the ballot or not. So we should be running as, as smart and as tough campaigns against them as possible because they will be dangerous if they are elected in November and we have to stop them. She also said it's Republican voters elevating these candidates, not the ads Democrats are running. These are the types of Republican candidates, these Trump Republican candidates who are coming through primaries that are determined with the plurality of the vote. So the fact that Democrats are, you know, pulling out all the stops to try to halt the march of these right-wing candidates in primaries, certainly in general elections, is, is an important strategy. Yeah, I've, I give, I, I've given this some thought, and um, at first glance, I was supportive of this. And then I read somewhere, and they put it, they put it as, it is too risky because you are you are forwarding the candidacy of anti-democratic individuals, and that is it's just a game that should not be played. You, you either support democracy and and you are a, a fervent supporter of it, or you're it's not that important, and we can risk getting people in there who are who are trying to tear at the very fabric of our country. Yeah, we didn't talk about how we felt about this before doing like, the show. Together, you and me. Yeah, yeah. and I I come down the same way. I I created that clip so that people could hear both, both sides of the argument, two people arguing about it, so that you could make your own decision based on how you feel about it. But that's where I come down. I mean, it's effectively funding the campaign of fascists. And yeah. so I don't... I don't think it's a good look for the Democratic Party. I don't think it is something that they should be doing. And part of me was thinking, you know, at first, okay, maybe we should look at the evidence of how successful these campaigns are. If they're funding these people and it all works out, 
okay, is that evidence that it's working or is that luck? You know, yeah. and yeah. and I think it's it's possible that because it is so risky that it it could just be luck. I mean, who knows if you're funding ads that then convince fascist curious voters yeah. to get yeah. out there. Yeah, I, I'm listen, you can't be the party who is um standing up for democracy and investigating the insurrection, the attempted overthrow of the United States government on one hand, and then out of the same group of people be funding ads for these very types who want to destroy American democracy and reign for a thousand years through voter intimidation, voter suppression, the oppression of, of, of black and brown people across the country. It, 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 the two things can't coexist. Yeah. I agree. So, yeah. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email. I doubt it at dollamore.com. One of the good things that's coming out of um, this new era as we get closer to the midterms right now is there are certain Democrats who are starting to be more aggressive in their language, uh, something that should have been happening years ago. Um, we've seen Joe Biden come out talking about semi-fascist. We've, we've Nancy Pelosi made a, a quip the other day about Republicans believing that conception begins at the, the candlelight dinner the night before or something like that. I mean, they're, they're starting to really shed the vestiges of, oh, my good friend across the aisle, blah, 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 and starting to call it as they see it. Here's Chuck Schumer discussing on the floor of the Senate in prepared remarks referring to the United Supreme Court as a MAGA-controlled court. And of course, Judge Thomas has opened the door for the court to go even further backward when he's saying that cases like Obergefell, which protect marriage equality for now, should be revisited. So when some Republicans say, oh, this is unnecessary, it won't happen, Remember, that's the same thing they said about Roe. Yes. And look at where we are today. We should protect marriage equality now, well before the MAGA-controlled Supreme Court steps in. So I encourage my colleagues to continue these conversations. The American people support protecting marriage rights of same-sex marriages by large margin. So let's get it done. So this is conversation about a bill that would codify same-sex marriage in the way that Roe was not. Yeah. And I think this is important. I think we need to hear Democrats speaking more directly about the Supreme Court and about Republicans. And obviously it's paying off for Joe Biden. His approval rate is soaring. I yeah. guess, I guess maybe soaring is a word. It went up quite substantially. Uh, over 10 points, I believe. 12 yeah. points. Yeah, and that's because we're seeing Dark Brandon really come out and <laughs> do some work. Stupid. And... <laughs> well, listen, it is, you cannot, you can't be milk toast, especially in this age of American politics where fascism, fascism is literally on the rise, where our democracy is at threat. There are existential threats to our republic that we haven't faced maybe ever. And you can't... Oh, well, I'm just going to be this milk toast president that doesn't really do anything. The, the other side's never going to approve of what what Brandon does. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do things for the American people, your side isn't even going to approve of what you're fucking doing. So you have to govern in a way that's going to better the lives of Americans, even if you have to drag them kicking and screaming to that betterment whether that be through student loan abatement, whether that be through child tax credits, whether that be through stimulus payments, you got to lead. Mm -hmm. Don't take a middle-of-the-road approach. That's not leadership. Yeah. And they're finally starting to do it. Finally. There also needs to be an adherence to dispensing with this, oh, the Supreme Court is this venerable or a institution that we need to respect. No, the fuck it's not. Mm -hmm. Not anymore, it's not. Yes. And it hasn't been for a long time. So we need to just jettison that idea altogether and move the fuck on into reality. Dealing with reality, as Brittany says, on reality's terms. Yes, and Donald Trump could be dealing with reality on reality's terms, although 
I doubt it because it's probably quite upsetting for him to face reality right now, <laughs> especially with the Department of Justice having issued 40 subpoenas to his allies. It was a broad ranging and significant escalation of this Justice Department investigation into Trump campaign activities uh, to overturn the election and leading up to the January 6th insurrection to a variety of characters across Trump world. We haven't confirmed all the names, but we've confirmed that, for example, uh, Trump insider Boris Epstein his phone was seized under a search warrant by the Justice Department, as was one other person. And then, as you said, around 40 subpoenas to various people. Uh, the lawyer for Bernard Carrick, the former New York City police commissioner, who was advising the Trump campaign on that Stop the Steal movement, asserting uh, baseless assertions of fraud. He said that Bernard Carrick got a subpoena last week for documents and his grand jury testimony. And he's aware that a lot of other people who worked on the campaign got similar subpoenas. It shows that the Justice Department is really stepped up its efforts to investigate uh, not only the Stop the Steal movement, but raising fundraising efforts for that movement, um, and also the fake elector scheme, the scheme to put forward false slates of electors uh, showing that Donald Trump won the election when, in fact, he didn't, and efforts to pressure Mike Pence to potentially certify those electors on January 6th. None of that came to fruition, but um, that that's where the Justice Department is right now. People have been wondering whether they were going to aggressively investigate and follow in the steps of the January 6th committee. I think we have our answer now, uh, 60 days before the midterm election. Absolutely. Danny, I'd like to bring you in now. We're talking about nearly 40 subpoenas here. What kind of evidence is needed to actually secure that many? And does it tell you anything about where they're heading in the investigation or what kind of evidence they may already have? Subpoenas are very different from search warrants. Search warrants, uh, the government has to go to a judge and demonstrate probable cause so that the government can go invade someone's home or office and look around themselves. Subpoenas, I can issue a subpoena from my desk. A grand jury can just issue subpoenas, and it's usually the prosecutor's call. And they represent a different approach. Instead, they're saying to the person that receives them, hey, you go look in your own files. We will trust you for now. Grab everything that we're looking for and give it back to us, the government. And so, in a sense, subpoenas are a relatively low-risk investment in getting back documents. So this number of subpoenas indicates the government is casting a very wide net on a broad uh, swath of topics, including the fake elector scheme and uh, possibly fundraising efforts, although we don't know entirely for sure exactly what they're seeking and the purpose for which they are seeking those documents. But if they are as broad as has been reported, they could relate to any of those things and yield information possibly that the government didn't already know. The important thing to, 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 to keep in mind here is although the bar is lower than for a search warrant, subpoenas are not just an instrument of harassment. That would be a, a misuse of a federal grand jury. What they're doing here is going to very likely... Uh, subjects of the investigation or people who are adjacent to it. They know that there is a likelihood there's going to be information there. They likely have evidence already, and they're searching in these specific areas for the information that they believe or know is there. Mm -hmm. So it is different than the FBI going to going to Mar-a-Lago with a search warrant that they've gone to a judge. It is different. But it also is um, an important first step in getting this to trial and gathering all of the evidence for a, an airtight case. Remember when Twitter blew up because Donald Trump was in D.C. and yes. there were conspiracies about how he was rushed here without even time to change, change his shoes or yeah. his, his golf outfit? I hope people remember those accounts, by the way. Yeah. M mine wasn't. Well, and also also remember that liberals, Democrats, the left is not immune from conspiracy type thinking or conspiracy theories. I yeah. think that's an important thing to remember. Well, it, it's also like there. I saw accounts like analyzing what kind of shoes he had on. Oh, he's got cleats on on the tarmac. That's going to ruin things. There's no way that blah blah blah. And then when he had his meeting on the golf course, the 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 lion's share of all the individuals on the course with him were like. Trump organization people, the the general manager of the golf course here in Sterling, Virginia. It, it was, you know, 
not what everybody saw, said that it was. Mm-hmm. So be 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 careful. Yeah. About all of that. For sure. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think think about these and any other topics that are on your mind. You can call, leave us a voicemail, 657-464-7609. And of course, we would encourage you to email us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Once again, we are a listener-supported show. We would encourage you to consider supporting our work on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast. Pick your tier uh, if that is something you're into. We certainly are into it for you. Anyway, we love you guys. We'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt.